We, uh, we're in a sermon series right now called Beyond the 52, where we've been talking about what it means to, um, to take our faith, not just on the, uh, the, every Sunday of the week, the 52 days out of the year, but into the rest of our lives, into our family life, into our neighbor's lives, and into our community. And so we're asking the question, how do we actually take our faith Beyond the 52. And if, you have, uh, if you've missed any of our sermons over the past few weeks, I'd encourage you to go check it out online, Facebook, Vimeo. If you're a Spotify guy like me, you can check them out on Spotify and iTunes. We just want to uh, provide a space where you can connect with, with what we're um, moving towards as a church body. Um, the, the title of my sermon today is called Your Best Life is Hidden. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and tell them your best life is hidden. I, uh, I used to wait tables in Nashville, which I've shared with you before as, as, we were, um, as we were doing the typical music thing, you know, waiting tables, playing music on the weekends. And I used to have these regulars who would come in, and they would tell me all about their pet snake. And uh, I hate snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. Please don't come into the office this week with your pet snake and try to convince me of why I should like snakes. You can't do it. It's impossible. Um, but they would tell me all about their pet snake, and I wanted to come across, like, I really cared what these people thought at the time. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd look at the snake and act really intrigued and be like, oh, wow, that's a really cool-looking snake. You know, I, I really cared how my image was portrayed, and I didn't want to come across as being scared of a snake. And I guess they read that wrong because they, they thought that I was very interested in meeting their snake. So... <laughs> One, one day they were like, hey, on one of your last shifts, we're actually going to bring in Rembrandt, was his name. Um, we're going to bring in Rembrandt, and you're going to meet the pet snake. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I can't wait to meet the snake. And uh, so one day they come in, and they've got this, this bigger purse than usual, and they just put it on the counter, and I start kind of eyeballing that purse, and I'm like, I think I know what's in that purse. But they go through their meal, they're, they're eating, they're talking, the purse doesn't move at all. Um, until the end of the meal, and then I could have sworn there was like a twitch or like something moved. And uh, as soon as I saw that, I knew it was in there. My hands started sweating, like my heart was racing. I started getting really, really nervous. So I pay their bill, and uh, they're like, hey, do you want to know what's in the purse? And me caring what people thought about me, I was like, yeah, what, show me what's in your purse. I'd love to see it. And they open it up, and at the bottom of the purse is a coiled up boa constrictor. And they're like, if, if you touch it, we'll give you five extra dollars. <laughs> Two things. Number one, I need that bread. I need that money. So I'm like, yes, I will touch it. Number two, I really care what these people think. And if I chicken out now after talking about how, how I'm not freaked out by snakes or anything, then they're going to they're gonna find me out. And so I start putting my hand into the purse and my hand's like shaking. And then whack, I'm just kidding. It didn't do it. Um, I really wanted to scare someone. I don't know if it worked. Okay, good. I, I got someone up in the... <laughs> awesome. Um, well, that's all I have for you, so... Um, no, no, I touched it and uh, felt gross, and as my hand's coming out, I look over, and I see my manager, and he gives you that look that parents give, like, I'm not mad at you, I'm just disappointed in you, and I knew I was in trouble, so I, I go back, and I start talking to my manager, and, and he writes me up for disciplinary action, be because he told me, it's not because they brought a snake into the restaurant, it's because you cared too much about what they thought to, ask, to, to not ask them to leave the restaurant, to do the right thing. And, and I share that because I find that 
to be a reoccurring thing in my life, you know? Like, I, I deeply care what people think about me. In fact, I, I go to great lengths to, to come across a, a certain way, to be perceived a, a certain way, and, and uh, I want to come across to a good father and a, a good husband and, and competent and calm, cool, and collected. And, and I find that at, in my worst moments, I begin to look for my significance and my security in what other people think about me instead of the truth of what God says about me. And, and I don't know if you struggle with that too. Maybe, maybe you're like me and it, at your worst moments, you even like change your personality so that people will, will like you more. You, you talk about things that you're maybe not really that into, but you, you want to be perceived a certain way. Maybe you've bought into this lie that, that um, money, that your job title, that how that's portrayed to other people will bring you significance and security. There's a, there's a, a social media hashtag right now, hashtag living my best life. And, and it's, it's this, usually it's someone on the beach somewhere with, uh, with a couple hundred dollar bills in front of them, living the perfect life, right? And there's a dolphin out in the water in the background and their kid's riding the dolphin or whatever and they're going to adopt dolphins and bring them back to Brockville to live in the river. I don't know. It's like just the perfect life with the perfect family. They have everything figured out. And and maybe you're like me and, and you think that that'll bring you maybe some significance or some security, See, the reality for us today is that everybody here, everybody in this room is searching for significance and security somewhere. The question is, where are you looking? Where do you go to make you feel accepted? Who do you go to to make you feel significant and secure? I love the Bible because I truly believe that the word of God is relevant to our everyday life, 100%. Yeah, the cultures are different. The, the, the uh, language is different. Um, some of their ideas are different. But you know what's never changed is the search for significance and security. That, that's been happening since the beginning of time. And, and what I want to look at today is I want to look at the book of Colossians. And I think we're going to be able to see ourselves and our struggles in the people of this, of this day, 2,000 years ago. So we're looking at the book of Colossians, and this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul while he's in prison, and he's actually, um, he's writing it to this new church with a new group of Christians. And they're kind of trying to figure out what does it mean to be Christians in this, this culture. The culture that they live in puts a lot of emphasis on, on the amount of money you have, on your social status, on, on how you are perceived by other people. It's this um, multi-religious, multi-belief culture that it kind of would, would maybe in lay terms be like, hey, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but if you're a Christian, just don't try to push that on me. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And so the Colossians are trying to figure out what it means to, to focus on God as their source of significance and security. And at some point, there, there's a, a person or a group of people who have come into the fold who are trying to take their eyes off Jesus. They're actually trying to change them from Christians to Jewish mystics. And somehow they've succeeded in some ways. Some people have, have followed this person or this group of people. And so Paul is writing to address this very issue. And so that's kind of where we land in chapter 3. And I just encourage you, um, read the whole book of Colossians this week. It, it gives you context for what's happening. It'll help you better understand um, this passage even more. But I want to drop in on chapter 3, 
verse 1. It says this, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I want to double back to that phrase. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. I was thinking about my sermon this week as I was driving, and um, then I got thinking about driving and how I'm such a control freak behind the wheel. Like, I'm, I'm always the one behind the wheel when Hannah and I are, are, are driving places, and I'm the worst backseat driver ever. You know, we'll, we'll be driving somewhere, and at the rare chance that she's behind the wheel, I'm telling her she's going too fast, and she's going too slow, and she's about to run a red light, and stop at a green light. I mean, I just give her the worst time ever. Um, and, and to her credit, she is a very good driver most of the time. <laughs> the, uh, the exception is when we're driving somewhere scenic, you know, and there's mountains and there's rivers and oceans and a, a lush forest off to the side. Like anytime we go to the States, we'll be crossing over the Thousand Islands Bridge. And, and if Hannah's driving, she's looking at the water below and the islands and the boats and the houses and the sky above and, and soaking in the beauty around her. And the problem with that, and this is the case for everybody here today, is that we steer where we stare. So if you're staring at everything except the road, you're going to steer towards everything except the road. You, you steer where you stare. And isn't that true about our faith? That we steer where we stare. Like, if we look to the world as our place of significance and security, we will have actions and behaviors and lifestyles that will begin to move in that direction. Just the same, if, if we look to God as our source of significance and security, we will have actions, behaviors, and lifestyles that will move in that direction. We steer where we stare. It's a reality for all of us. And the reason is, according to a theologian named Neil Anderson, he says this, every person, every person here is born into this world physically alive and spiritually dead. That comes from Ephesians 2.1. Since from birth we neither had the presence of God nor the knowledge of his ways, we learn to live our lives independent of God. Rather than having our needs met through a living relationship with our loving Heavenly Father, we sought to meet our own needs. We developed patterns of thought and habits of behavior which centered our interests on ourselves. When we were born again, we became spiritually alive, but our self-centered flesh patterns and mental strongholds remained opposed to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Consequently, we are still tempted to look to the world, the flesh, and the devil to meet our basic needs and carnal desires instead of looking to Christ. And as a result, we steer where we stare. The problem with that is those things we, we look at in the world, you know, people's image of us, that job, that, that money in the bank account, th things like, like sex and sex appeal and, and being well-liked and well-received, more followers on social media, all that. None of that was meant to give you satisfying significance and security. You were created in the image of God, created to have relationship with God, the creator of the universe. And so often we resort to worshiping created things instead of the creator of all 
things. And at some point, we bought into this lie. It's, it's interesting. I see this play out in my own life. That, that what we've achieved, what we've succeeded at, the, uh, the followers we have on social media, the choices we make make us who we are. But, but if your choices make you who you are, then, then the best you can really hope for is to break even, right? Because you're jacked up. Your neighbor sitting next to you is jacked up. Look at your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, you're jacked up. Some of you enjoyed that a little bit too much. You're like, I've been waiting to say this. Hold on, mom, you are jacked up. <laughs> we, we are jacked up. We, we are people with imperfect lives. We have colored pasts. We have regrets. We've, we've made mistakes, which makes the good news of the gospel truly good news. You see, through Jesus' death and resurrection, your identity, your significance and security is not found in the things of this world. It's found in the victory of the cross. Which means I'm no longer working for approval, I'm working from approval. It means that, that I'm not a sum of the choices that I've made, good and bad. I'm a sum of the choices that he made for me. And when, when we begin to realize that, that begins to transform our very life, the, the people we are, the people we're becoming. So the question isn't, who are you? The, the question becomes in this life, whose are you? Who do you belong to? Theologian Carl Jacobson has a really good quote on this. He says, what Colossians describes, the book we're looking at, the reality of our present selves, a reality which we need to preach here and as best we are able to practice, a life hidden not inside of us, but inside of Christ. The world will tell you that your significance and your security is found in the things of the world, in your job title, in sex, in that relationship, in how other people perceive you. The gospel says your best life is not in the world. It's hidden in Christ. And that begins to transform who we are. This is what Paul says. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now, you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all in all. A few weeks ago, Henry was uh, wanting to go over to the church while Hannah was working because he wanted to see his mom. And uh, I, I got him all ready to go. I got, you know, the shoes, the coat, the hat, the works. And we start walking out in the snow, and it's like he's moving a lot slower than normal, almost like he's in some kind of pain or, or discomfort. And normally he just, like, runs across the, the church parking lot with, with my hand, and, and he's excited to be here. Um, but this time he just took forever. And we finally get in, and we go down to the end of the boulevard with the chairs, and we sit down. And he looks at his shoes and he goes, Sue's, Sue's, which is how he says shoes. And I looked down and I had put his shoes on the wrong feet. 
and I felt terrible. I mean, he's like, he must have been so uncomfortable. It must have been painful for him to get across the parking lot. I, I, I was glad I caught it when I caught it because you imagine if he went the whole day like that, like what's that going to do to his feet? Is he going to have a right foot on his left foot, left foot on his right foot? I don't know. Um, but much in the same way that Henry was, was not made to wear his feet on the, or his shoes on the wrong feet, you and I were, were not meant to worship anything other than God. And when we begin to place our significance and our security in anything but God, it's a lot like wearing your shoes on the wrong feet. It's painful, it's uncomfortable, and if you walk like that long enough, it can do lasting damage. See, if, if we really want to take our faith beyond the 52 in 2020, if we, if we want to make our faith just not an every Sunday type of thing, but an every week type of thing, we have to start asking, where is our focus? Like, like what are we looking at for our significance and our security? And then we have to take an honest look at our lives and ask, what in me is earthly? Like, what, what behaviors are a byproduct of me looking every, everywhere except to Jesus? Do you struggle with anger? With lying? Abusive language? Looking at things on your phone you know you shouldn't be looking at? Do you struggle with the way you talk about other people? What in you is a byproduct of you not looking to Jesus as your source of significance and security, but rather the world? See, if we want to go beyond the 52, we have to strip away those things in us that are earthly and steal our gaze from looking at Christ. And then Paul says this. He, he says we actually have to clothe ourselves with, with these new traits. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly, that, that stood out to me so much in 2019. Coming to, to the end of 2019, um, I realized that I had spent a lot more time looking at my iPhone than looking at the truth of the Word of God. And that I was more in a habit of looking at my iPhone than, than at the truth of the Word of God. And so I felt convicted and felt like God was telling me, okay, you, you've got to start reading your Bible more. It's, it can't just be a, a 52 times a year thing or, or an 80 or 100 or, or 180. It has to be a 365 day a year type thing. And so I went to Hannah about it. I was like, hey, Hannah, I, I feel like, you know, God's telling me to, to read through the Bible more. And she was like, me too. And so we've been working through this process of, of reading through the Bible in the year. And I just want to encourage you, so many of us, we, we have good intentions and we want to look to the truth of God. One of the best places to start, read your Bible every single day. Go to the truth of the Word of God every single day and watch how that transforms your life and your understanding of who God is. And if you're new here today and you don't have a Bible, I, come out and see us at the welcome desk. We're going to find a way to get you a Bible one way or the other because we believe that it's that important in your faith walk. Let, it says, let the, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it says, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And, and that too 
just stood out to me. You know, we're launching our small groups next Sunday where we're going to be going into a, a brand new, different series for each group. And I just want to encourage you, another way that you can actually fix your eyes on Christ, grow in your significant, and seeking your significance from Him and, and your security from Him, get plugged into a group. Let, let that group come around you and help you see more clearly the life that God has for you. I've, I've shared this before, but I'm color deficient. You know, so like there's certain colors I can't see. I can see the difference between blue and yellow or black and gold, but I can't tell the difference between red and green. And I found that because of my deficiency, if I try to dress myself and go out into the world in reds and greens, it usually doesn't look too pretty. I have to rely on someone else, namely my wife, to help me see past those deficiencies because she has clearer vision. In the same way, Many of us here, we need to be in a group with people who are further along in our faith than us, who can help us see more clearly the, the truth of who God is in our lives, not just on Sundays, but, but midweek, and help us focus our attention on Him. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I heard a, a really great quote going into 2020. It said, nothing great has ever been accomplished with half of someone's heart. God is calling us as a church body to not just be complacent with 52 Sundays out of the year, but 365 days out of the year. It means looking at the word of God. It means getting plugged in with a group. And for many of us here, it means serving in some new capacity, discovering the new gifts that God, um, that God may be working on in your life. It, it might be serving a neighbor. A neighbor. It might be serving uh, here at church with the youth or the kids or, or the parking lot or the, the hospitality team or making coffee, whatever it is. I really believe that if we begin to give our whole lives to Christ, if we shift our focus to him and him alone, we will find true significance and security. And all that to say, I know full well there are some people here who wish you could forget the last decade, or maybe even the last year. You know, you had good intentions, you were, were going to focus your attention on God, look to Him as your source of security and significance, and then something just happened. You know, maybe the, the, the loss of a, of a loved one, disease, illness, financial struggles, mental illness. Some of you walked in the door today so ashamed and so broken down because of the last decade and the last year. What's so beautiful about the message of Christ is that Jesus came so those things no longer have power over you. That 2020 can be a year of second chances, stepping into the promises and the life that God has for you. Your best life is not hidden in the world, it's hidden in Christ. And because of his death and resurrection, he gives us opportunity to shed those things, to get rid of those things that hinder us from following him and find our best life in him. That means that death, illness, depression, cancer, Anxiety, they no longer have the final say over your story. Jesus Christ entered your story to change your story.
which means this, that your best life is not found in the world, it's hidden in Christ. You are not working for approval anymore, you're working from the approval that's already given because you are made in the image of Christ. I uh, heard, a, heard Reverend um, Zachary, or I can't say his name, Ravi Zacharias, wow, that was bad. Ravi Zacharias talk about this story of uh, Jesus in the temple. And a man brings a coin to him with Caesar's inscription, an image on it. And he says, uh, should, we, should we basically pay our taxes? Should, should we um, give our money to Caesar? And Jesus looks at it and says, whose inscription or whose image is on that coin? To which the man responds, Caesar's. And Jesus says, well, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Give to God's what is God's. And that's kind of where the story ends. But, but really, the man should have then asked, maybe for clarity for me, um, who or what is God's? To which I have a feeling Jesus would have pointed at the man and said, whose inscription is on you? Whose image was placed on you? You were made in the image of God, created for relationship with him, created for significance and security that can only be found in that relationship with him, which means this, that if you are in Christ today, you are a child of God. You have been adopted into the family of God. You have been justified through faith. You are a member of Christ's body. You have been adopted. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. You are complete in Christ and you're forever free from condemnation. You cannot be separated from God. Your life is hidden with God. And you've been given a spirit, not of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind and that enemy cannot touch you. You are the salt and the light of the earth. You have been chosen and approved to bear fruit. You are a minister of reconciliation. You are God's workmanship, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Imagine what would happen if going into 2020, we focused our attention on that truth, on that reality of who God is and who he created us to be. I mean, imagine how that would begin to change your life. If, if you went to the Word every day as your source of significance. If, if you got plugged in with a group of believers who could walk alongside of you. If, if, you, if you started serving and discovered gifts you never knew you had because you hadn't applied them yet. Imagine the change that would begin to happen in your life, in your family's life. Imagine what would happen in this community and how, how it would transform just by us looking to Christ as our source of significance and security. In 2020, may we be a people here at Centennial Road who fix our eyes on Christ, throwing off anything that hinders, anything that gets in the way, and discover the life that he has for us, a life that is hidden in Christ. God, thank you for today. I thank you for each person here for the work that you are doing in their lives, that they have been marked with intrinsic and particular value that only you can give before they were even born, that they have divine purpose beyond anything that they can imagine. I pray, Lord, that our identity would be something not that we chase after in this world, but something we live into in you. Help us to find our best life hidden in you, Jesus. Make us more like you your name.